Welcome to 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name is Adam, and while I put 20 minutes on the clock, why don't you open your Bible to the book of Exodus, chapter 13. God has delivered his people from their slavery and bondage in the land of Egypt. God's people were enslaved for over 400 years, and they are now experiencing their first days of freedom. The Lord said to Moses, chapter 13, verse 1, Consecrate to me every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. The first thing that God has for the people to do in their freedom is an act of worship. Consecration means to dedicate for a divine purpose. Set aside for me your best, your first fruits. Now, I am an oldest child, so I am inclined to think that the oldest child is the best. This isn't a value statement. It's an idea of first fruits. It's an idea of uh, the first that you have is for the Lord. Verse 3, Then Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the day... Ah, sorry, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today, in the month of Aviv, you are leaving. When Yahweh brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, the land he swore to your ancestors to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be like a sign on your hand, a reminder on your forehand, that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips. Now, you may have seen, if you've ever been among Hasidic or, or ultra-Orthodox Jews, uh, that they have little boxes that they wear on their forehead or, or maybe have around their wrist that contain little mini Torahs, this idea of very literally having the law of the Lord on their forehead. God said, I desire obedience, not sacrifice. Jesus said, you're like a whitewashed tomb. It looks good on the outside, but inside is death. I can be as religious and appear as moral on the outside, but if the inside is compromised, it does not matter. There are many traditions and feasts, observances that God gave the people, and they are good. We have to make sure, though, that we do not corrupt them into something bad. That we don't take something that is good and turn it into something that causes strife, division, pride. 
that we take something that was meant to be a blessing. For example, the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For on the Sabbath day, God rested. What a blessing the Sabbath has been through so many generations. Think about the Industrial Revolution, the conditions in those early factories. And if it hadn't been for the concept of a Sabbath, those owner barons would have made the people work seven days a week in those factories. But because of the Sabbath, because of the Sabbath, they were forced to give them a day off. That is a blessing. But then people turn it into a burden. Oh, that's the Sabbath day, so you can't do anything. You have to sit and do nothing. No fun can be had on the Sabbath. I highly disagree with that. Some of the most fun that I have in my entire week happens on the day where we Sabbath. We rest, we pause, we recharge. It's a very important concept. In fact, when we get to places where we haven't been good at it, it's, it's a point of discussion like, hey, we need to get back into this as a family. He says, tell your son, I'm showing my children, I'm modeling for them how to follow Jesus. I spoke on a Sunday recently about home hypocrisy. At best, the best youth ministry in any church has a couple of hours a week maximum with a student. The best kids' church ministry has a couple hours a week, sometimes less. In our church, the the kids' church has maximum like 45 minutes a week. It is not the role of the church to model faith to your, ch- to your children. It is the role of you, father, you, mother, you, grandfather, grandmother, you, spiritually influential adult, to model faith in Jesus. To show them, why am I resting? I'm resting because God has created in me a need for rest. And Jesus is my eternal rest, but today I rest in Jesus. And I've worked hard six other days of the week, and today I will rest. I can model for them. It says, when your children ask you, why do you do these things? When my children ask about baptism, when my children ask about communion, and I'm modeling for them active life, when my children say, why are we here? My friends don't go to church on Sunday morning. They do fun things on Sunday morning. I can model for them. Well, actually, I I think it is fun to worship the Lord. I think it is fun to take time and and to serve God. I can show them what it means to be a Christian. Verse 11, after the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he gives it to you, as he promised an oath to you and your ancestors, you are to give over to the Lord your first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. This would be um, an acts of worship, service. Verse 13, redeem a lamb, redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. So what that means about breaking its neck is uh, the donkey was not a, suitable sacrifice. So if you have a donkey, what do you do with the firstborn? Well, you can take a secondborn lamb and it will substitute. 
because the donkey was not a suitable sacrifice in the old system. Now, there were ways uh, to sort of buy back. You didn't have to sacrifice your children. There, if you get to the um, you know, Leviticus, Deuteronomy numbers, there are ways to, uh, similar to how a, a lamb will satisfy for a donkey, in the same way there were ways to cover. So you didn't have to, you, you weren't sacrificing your children. It wasn't expected. That's not what God was getting at. The thing about a covenant relationship is this. A covenant relationship says, this is what I'm going to do. This is what you will do. We're going to see in a little bit when the people come out of Egypt, God brings them to a mountain, and there the people of Israel take certain vows. God will be their God. They will be his people. We will do this. We won't do that. Covenant is an exchange. God is saying, here, I am asking you to give me the firstborn of every womb. And God is not holding back because he will give his first and only son, Jesus Christ. That his sacrifice will be the perfect and final atonement for sin. In the meantime, the blood of bulls and goats, the blood of lambs and birds, these sacrifices were a temporary means of grace. If you have a wound, you put a bandage on it, but then you're taken for surgery so that healing can happen. This is a temporary solution, and the, the ultimate way of salvation is through Jesus Christ. Verse 14, in the days to come, when your son asks, Why do you, what does this mean? You say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to Yahweh the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. It's interesting again to me that he says, this is why I sacrifice. So when, he, when, this, when God is saying, you will teach your sons this, it's you will teach your sons by doing this. You are actively involved. I believe that God has called men to lead their homes. Does that mean that my wife is less than I am, that she isn't equal with me? No, of course not. We're a partnership. We're a team. But I have a responsibility as, as a man to bring and pass on the things of God to my children. Verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went out of Egypt ready for battle. So it's interesting here. We're told that the Israelites left Egypt, and as they are leaving, they are prepared for battle. They have whatever weapons they had, maybe something as primitive as a, a, a pitchfork or a spear, but they also maybe took weapons from the, the Egyptians as they left, taking also gold and silver and other provisions. It says they're ready for battle, but God didn't take them by the way that would have taken them directly into battle. 
They weren't ready. God, God is so merciful. He brings people along. There's a debate. Will God give you more than you can handle? I don't know where I sit on that subject. I believe there are things that would overwhelm me, but God's grace is sufficient for me. I believe that there are things that are too much for me, and so I need the help of others. Why is it that the, the New Testament makes such a big deal about being in community, in relational uh, connection with the church, with the family of God? It's not for the good times. It's for those moments when life is too much. I'm not alone. When life is too hard, when it is too much to bear, I have someone to come alongside me. If the church is just a place where we go and attend, you say, well, I attend that church. If I'm a, a church attender, that will not be enough in the day of the storm. If the church is a loose social club, it's something I do, I go to once a week, but then I go and I have my real community outside. And then when the storm comes, when life's too much to bear, and you're looking around for somebody who will bring you towards God, and they aren't existing because the, the people that you're connected with don't know how to point you to God because they themselves don't know Jesus. I had a friend who made a choice to make her, her strongest connections outside of God's family. And when life got to be too much, she went to where her strongest connections were, and instead of pointing them to God, instead of praying for them, instead of encouraging them, instead of loving on her, they said, here's the bottle. And a cycle of, of misery descended on her life. They weren't ready yet. And God needed to bring them to a place of strength. I believe that in our lives, God is trying to build us up. And there are storms coming. There are seasons coming. There are challenges coming. Can we be built up in the Lord to be ready for those things? Verse 19 says, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid. Then you must carry up my bones with you from this place. If you were with us on Sunday mornings last year when we studied the book of Genesis, then you might remember this, that as Joseph was dying, he made his children and the descendants of Israel swear this oath. I believe he did so for two reasons. One is to give them a picture, to give them a vision of the future, to say we are not staying here forever. There will come a time when God will deliver us from this place, and we are not meant to be here, so don't bury me. Don't make a big mausoleum. Joseph was number two in the kingdom of Egypt. You don't think there wasn't some tomb or pyramid ready for him? But he said, no, do not bury me here. Bury me in the land of my fathers when the time comes that God delivers us. I believe the second reason is this. People have a tendency towards monument making. And imagine if the descendants of Israel had known that there was a place where the bones of Joseph were buried. What I believe is happening is that God did wanted a clean break. He did not want something for them to go back to. All throughout the scripture, Egypt is a picture of the world, of 
the world apart from God, of the world that has rejected God. And God wanted the people, his people, to have nothing to go back to in the world. I always hate using this example because Cortez was kind of a horrible guy. But the burn the ships model, Cortez and his conquerors, conquistadors, got to South America and they burnt the ships. We have no plan B. We are going to conquer this land. Now, I wish he hadn't shown up, sure. But the idea of having no plan B, when we engage in marriage, burn the ships. There's no plan B. There's no going back. Delete the numbers. Unfriend people. Do what you got to do. When we enter the family of God, when we proclaim ourselves to Christ and his service, no plan B, nothing to go back to. And I believe that Joseph did not want his people to have something to go back to. He wanted them to go to the land that God had for them. And there is always the danger of looking back, of remembering the old days as if they were somehow not misery. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night, a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of the cloud nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. So this is going to be a reoccurring theme. As the people travel from Egypt to the promised land, God is leading them. In the day, there is a pillar of cloud, and at night, it is a pillar of fire. When the pillar began to move, the people would move. What that would mean is that if the pillar began to move at three in the morning, and I don't know exactly how that would work out, but they somehow knew, the night watchman would sound the alarm and everybody would have to get up and pack their stuff and get going. And maybe it was because God knew that if they left at two in the morning one day, it would get them to a certain place and they would avoid a raiding party or a flash flood in the desert or who knows what might befall them. But God knew the moment to start and the moment to stop. He was leading them. At night, he illuminated them. There was constant light among the camp of God's people. It would have been safe to walk the streets. You couldn't have had somebody hiding in the shadow. The fiery presence of God was there the entire time. We need that in our own lives. We need that illumination and that constant leading. Should I take this job or should I not? God, what do you want from, from me? Should I buy this house or should I move here? Should I do this thing? What, how should I order my life? God, what do you want from me? Should I stay or should I go? That is in the Lord's hands. What does God want from me? Until then, I stay where God has put me. And when he says it's time to move, I move. And we need that illumination in our lives. Places where there is darkness, men love the darkness for their deeds are evil. Places where there are light drives out the darkness. That's why we have safety security policies, not because we don't trust people, but because we want to protect people 
We want to make sure that we drive out any shadow, any darkness. We want to make sure that we live in the light. The only way that I know to live in the light is to by, by seeking Jesus. I have found that the more I am in God's word, the more I am engaged in personal worship, the more I am engaged in personal prayer, the light shines and the darkness is driven out. I want to say thank you again for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. If this has been a helpful resource, we'd love to hear from you. My email is adam at faithonhill.com. I'm the pastor here at Faith on Hill Church. You can follow us on social media at Faith on Hill. Faithonhill.com is our website. New episodes are released every, two, every Thursday. And if you have questions about how to follow Jesus, how to walk in the light, how to have your sins forgiven, we would love to help you follow Jesus. We'll see you next week on another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.